Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. More revelations about why Fox News pushed out Tucker Carlson, plus a revealing interview from his former producer. Treasury Secretary Yellen warns that the U.S. could soon run out of money to pay its bills as Biden and McCarthy square off over the GOP's proposed spending cuts. We'll turn to the Hollywood writers' strike. We'll discuss their demands as well as what the strike means for your favorite shows and movies. We'll also discuss the Montana legislature's move to ban a transgender representative. This is Majority 54. All right, Jason, we'll start with Tucker here. The two big Tucker stories come out in the last 24 hours. One is, you know, we were asking, a lot of people were asking, well, what really happened at Fox News to push this guy out? New York Times reported yesterday that there was a text message that came out in the litigation on the eve of uh, the trial where uh, Tucker was texting during January 6th and said, um, you know, basically was like taking issue with a bunch of these uh, insurrectionists beating up a Antifa protester, sort of. Let's just read it. Should we just read it? Because I mean, you want to read it? Yeah. yeah. For full co- here, I'll, I'll do it. I'm not going to try and. I, I don't yeah, feel do like I can voice. do it. You know, do I don't it think it's it, Shapiro's easy. Tucker, <laughs> it's harder, and I don't I don't watch him enough to do it. So okay, uh, here we go. This is a text from Tucker Carlson. A couple of weeks ago, I was watching video of people fighting on the street in Washington. A group of Trump guys surrounded an Antifa kid and started pounding the living shit out of him. It was three against one at least. Jumping a guy like that is dishonorable, obviously. This, that actually does sound like him. Uh, especially this next part. It's not how white men fight. Yet suddenly I found myself rooting for the mob against the man, hoping they'd hit him harder, kill him. I really wanted them to hurt the kid. I could taste it. Then somewhere deep in my brain, an alarm went off. This isn't good for me. I'm becoming something I don't want to be. The Antifa creep is a human being. Much as I despise what he says and does, much as I'm sure I'd hate him personally if I knew him, I shouldn't gloat over his suffering. I should be bothered by it. I should remember that somewhere, somebody probably loves this kid and would be cru- and would be crushed if he was killed. If I don't care about those things, if I reduce people to their politics, how am I better than he is? Man, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, th- okay, should we start we with start- the headline? Well, yeah, the headline is the, you know, quote, it's not how white men fight. And I would ask somebody, you know, I, I have people in my life who are Tucker fans and claim that, you know, people are quick to call people racist, et cetera. Give me a non-racist explanation for that sentence. Right. I can't I, think of one. I can't think of one. Yeah. I I can't even think of a word that describes a, that like you could put in there. Like, I can't even think of a euphemism, right? No. That's, I mean, it's yeah. like that he could have, it's, it's, it, I, it's like, it's I am so speechless. obviously racist. It's so obviously racist. Like, yeah. it is so obviously racist that even Fox News had to get rid of this guy over it, allegedly. Now, the thing that really gets me is this is a text message. What the hell kind of text message is this as a text to his producer? The thing is like an essay. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, <clears throat> well, I have so many thoughts on this. One is, how many fights has white man Tucker Carlson been in? Like, right. is there is there some sort of, 
Washington uh, talking head dueling code that I'm unaware of that like you, you know, it's got to be one on one. And like, right. I, you know, I, I don't there's a fisticuffs thing. No, there's not. It's just like in his his idea. I mean, it's so racist. Like it is so racist. Uh, and I guess I, I, I'm trying to decide if I believe that this is why they got rid of him. Now, I do think when you put in the context of the timing, I kind of buy it. Right. Because my understanding is it was like right before the trial was supposed to start with Dominion, where he obviously would have been a witness. And mm-hmm. this was, I think this was not in the discovery, but they thought it was going to be obtained by, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe it was in the discovery, had been obtained by Dominion, but hadn't been released publicly. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think Fox News got it. I think essentially, you know better than I do because you've been part of these lawsuits. I guess like Fox like you got know- access to it or at least was made known that this was part of the discovery and basically had reason to think it was going to come out in trial. And so they yeah. didn't want to they didn't want to be responsible for that. That's that's it, my sense. It wouldn't surprise me if somebody had if they were having a fight over whether this was deemed like responsive to the discovery, right? Because the discovery was supposed to all be about whether or not they believed that there really was election fraud, right? Like because right. they were claiming it on air. So I could see where maybe, you know, this was like they were having a fight behind the scenes about whether this could be counted as part of the discovery, right? But I can see yeah. where also that would mean Fox News would have had lawyers who had had reviewed this because they had to review all the text messages from these folks at that mm-hmm. time. So Fox News would have well, known the about board, it, but Dominion may not. The reporting says the board was made known of this and the board was about to hire Wachtell, big corporate law firm, to review Tucker Carlson in light of these things. So it looked like he was on the hot seat anyway. So yeah. uh, I don't well, even want to touch this other part of it where he like says he has a bloodthirst and then questions himself. I don't I don't even well, know what to make of I, it. I'll touch it in the sense that like clearly he uh, he's trying to be introspective about right. this, but but doesn't have the instinct to in any way be introspective about his clearly prejudicial and racist thoughts. Like he's aware that this bloodthirst is bad for him. And he's like in one in like the same you know digital breath he's saying terribly racist things and then at the same time decrying the polarization of our politics and how it has swept even him into it right uh, well then he went he went uh, on and, and did a whole series of january 6th revisionism you know essentially yeah. defending these people he's he painted these people as heroes so he re- regardless of whether this moment was genuine or not where he you know whether he truly questioned himself or not, he reverted right back to what he was. Um, also, yeah. can I just say he then did a whole revisionist thing where he was like, "There was no violence." Right, for sure. <laughs> and he's yeah. he's aghast at the violence he was seeing around January sixth. I mean, well, you know what? I think I think he might not be uh, above board. I think you know, Carlson might be a bit of a hypocrite. You might be right. You might be right. This but is going to go viral he, now. Now that yeah, we said be, that. He might be a, yeah he might be a hypocrite but he's also a very powerful hypocrite. His former producer the one who's uh, suing Fox News because she said she was coerced into perjuring herself uh, went on TV and had some interesting things to say about Tucker and his role within the GOP. Let's go to this clip. I mean they believed that he could broker who was speaker, House speaker. He wanted to do that live on air but Kevin McCarthy said no. What what do you mean he wanted to do that live on air? 
his plan was to have Kevin McCarthy come on the show, according to um, Justin Wells revealed this grand plan to us. Tucker, a few days earlier, had sort of set some terms for McCarthy, which included this church kind of committee that he said about, I think this was about January 5th, so about January 2nd, mm -hmm. he said, you should have this church committee. So fast forward to January 5th, they start asking me to book McCarthy on the show that night. I had worked with him a lot when I was at Sunday Morning Futures and had a relationship with his team. Um, that afternoon, Justin came in and he said, here's the plan. Tucker's going to first have Kevin on, hear him beg and grovel. Then we'll bring in Matt Gates, and Matt Gates will then kind of set his terms. Then Tucker will set his terms that McCarthy has to agree to. Tucker Carlson had terms that had McCarthy terms. Had yeah, to agree had to terms. Him. And we're going to make this whole thing happen on air and save the Republican Party. Now, fortunately for McCarthy's sake, he said no. But he did call Tucker the next day from his office with Representative Thomas Massey and had agreed to some of Tucker's terms, according to a text that Tucker had sent me. And he said that was a win. What is going on here? Tucker Carlson, I always I always knew, we've talked about it on air, that anybody could be the Speaker of the House. So you or I mm -hmm. could be voted Speaker of the House at any point. You don't even need to be a member of the House of Representatives. I had no idea that Tucker essentially was functioning as a member of the GOP caucus. I'm not that that part doesn't surprise me um, because, you know, we look at the way it, it has been revealed that like Hannity was clearly advising Trump's people Trump. behind the scenes in the 2020 election. And so that doesn't surprise me much. Uh, and you know what? None of this surprises me now that yeah. I think about it. Right. McCarthy yeah. coming really close to doing it. McCarthy feeling like even though he didn't want to do it and probably wasn't going to do it, he had to give what we say in politics. He had to give process to Tucker. Like Tucker was a very like like a very powerful constituent or a very powerful influential donor or or organizer. He had to call Tucker and give him some process and agree to some of his terms. Right. And uh, what I look hot take on this, like. This would have been amazing television, right. um, and 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 that to me gets at the success of Fox News. Right? Is that um, I'm not endorsing this. Like it's ridiculous that they were going to hash this out on air, uh, and that Tucker Carlson would be the one who who you know brings peace to the Republican Middle East. But it's it's a part of why. It's just a part. There's many other elements. It is a part of why Fox News has dominated in the way it has dominated because it has gone for these sorts of big moments and big presentation. And you know what I mean? That's, yeah, that's good TV. It would have been good TV. For sure. Uh, the loudest voice in the room, the book about Roger Ailes continues to be one of the most important media books ever written. It talks all about how he built this machine in evil genius. You know, mm -hmm. and that, you know, the fact that he, you know, has passed away and his, this sort of machine he built continues on and it will continue on without Tucker too. So it's oh, yeah. it's it's truly baffling how powerful this thing is. And did it's we already be interesting. did we already talk about Bombshell? Have you seen Bombshell? We did talk about it. Yeah, you were talking about um, Megyn Kelly and your experience with her. Uh, I remember. The, every, but I haven't more, seen it. I haven't seen okay, it. Okay. The yeah. all right now I do kind of remember us talking about it now. The more that I I have trouble keeping track of which conversations were on the show <laughs> and which were off the show and then which were with someone else, like you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tomorrow. Maybe that's why. But but I think um, the now that I've seen that movie, which is just a couple months ago that I was that I finally saw it, I I just view all this Fox News stuff and all this right wing media stuff through such a different uh, 
kind of more more context to to the way that I view it. And uh, oh man, and this just that's I guess maybe that's why it doesn't surprise me at all. Man, well, it'll be an interesting new era or old era in Fox News. It you know it's fascinating just to even see somebody you know she was a Fox News producer to see her talking mm-hmm. like this like I and always like, wonder what these people are like behind the scenes like really recently like I mean right. the, that the events she's describing were not that long ago yeah um, so yeah. it was like this year <laughs> so well anyway. let's shift gears let's talk about this debt ceiling so Secretary Yellen on Monday said that the U S could run out of money to pay its bills by June 1st. That's very soon. Uh, If Congress doesn't raise or suspend the debt limit, Biden is pushing hard. He doesn't want to negotiate with the GOP, meaning he wants to sit down with McCarthy. He's invited him, and apparently McCarthy in a few days will head to the White House. But Biden has has to toe this line where he's saying, I'm not going to negotiate over the terms that the GOP wants in terms of like cutting government spending, et cetera, but he wants to talk, so it's like a an interesting rhetorical move here to be like, I want to, I want to talk to McCarthy about getting this done, but I don't want to negotiate with him. I'm really curious to see what that conversation is going to sound like. It kind of reminds me, if I'm remembering correctly, and if I have this historical reference uh, now correct, it kind of remind. I feel like during the debates in two thousand, I want to say two thousand eight, um, the primary debates, didn't Obama say he would? have open talks with i want to say iran and mm-hmm. didn't that become like a really but he was like I'm, I'm not saying i would negotiate i'm just saying i i would engage if they wanted to engage and it was like a huge row people were like oh my god look at how naive this guy is no he can't be you know uh, right and, but i think it says a lot that that's where a president and the and the leader in the house of the opposing party kind of are right like yeah be, it, i think it says more uh, you know i don't want to be like look at how polarized we are like that's not that much of a contribution to the conversation, but it says a lot about the way the GOP in the House in particular is acting, right? Like, this is just terrorism. Like, acting like we're just going to blow the whole economy up unless you do what we want. It's political terrorism, which is why for Biden to engage and have a conversation, he has to be very explicit that I'm not going to negotiate with them because it sets the precedent of I will negotiate with, like, terrorists. Right, right. And it... (laughs) Yeah, it's it gets to the Tucker thing, right? Which is it mm-hmm. all comes back to the fact that this is a Speaker of the House in name only. He doesn't really have power. Right. So he, in order to even get this position, he had to give up any sense of control over this. So even if like best case scenario here, you would be able to appeal to rationality, McCarthy, where he could pretend to be taking this seriously, like the demands from his caucus. And then at the final hour, he, you know, you know, shows that he fought and then gives it, right? But that, mm-hmm. and that's normally what happens here. But it, we have a real risk that we could be pushed over the brink here because he he's totally captive to the Marjorie Taylor Greens in his caucus right now. Mm-hmm. And that's and I, really scary. Well, and look, it's also politically really, I mean, like this is secondary because it can wreck the economy. But I think probably there's a lot of fellow liberals or Democrats or whatever listening to this thinking, oh, well, you know, the Republicans are going to possibly screw this up. And then if you think that this would just be bad for Republicans, this would be 90% bad for Democrats if it actually mm-hmm. happens. And the for Republicans sure. know that, right? I mean, if you look at look at the way that the Republicans in the Senate are framing this, right? Like, uh, you know, Joni Erst 
Ernst from Iowa, she said, it's very scary. President Biden needs to step it up and get to the table. Kevin McCarthy and right. the folks in the House, they did their part. I saw another clip where, uh, I can't remember the bow tie wearing guy. I saw him at a dinner once and he was really strange, but I didn't remember his name. But you know, he was like saying Biden needs to be a grown up here. They're working very hard to set set it up so that you know like we did our part when your part was taking hostages right right like, like <laughs> yeah. you're trying to say that like the hostage taker has done his part he has made his demands at this point it's on the hostage negotiator to be a grown-up and it's like you know by meeting the demands like that's no no that's not fair but but it might work and people should not underestimate underestimate that strategy yeah, and Biden's in this impossible situation because if people aren't following this closely, they will hear things like Biden won't negotiate and then they'll blame mm -hmm. Biden for it. But if they if they look at the fine details, they'll realize, well, they're taking this this unrelated thing and saying we won't even engage on it unless you cut all these programs that we've been right. wanting to cut forever. And so there the house you know, we don't control the House, but Jeffries has sent a dear colleague letter, which essentially is procedural point, uh, and they're introducing legislation to have a clean debt ceiling increase, but they need Republican support in order to do that. Schumer is introducing legislation in the Senate to do the same, although sh apparently Manchin and Cinema are saying Biden should negotiate. Not totally surprising. And so- this is going to be a chaotic couple of weeks, without a doubt. Probably a lot of folks listening don't know what a discharge petition is. So a, dis a discharge petition in the House, it, we had it when I was in the Missouri House too. Uh, it, it's a procedure that says that even though it, the the majority party isn't bringing something to the floor, that the minority party, if if they get enough people together, or if any slight majority of members sign a petition saying this has to be brought directly to the floor, it doesn't have to go through committee, just bring it directly to the floor for a vote, then everybody has to vote on it. Well, that's why, of course, they would need a few Republicans in order to do that. We, uh, I remember doing this on ethics reform, and we came up short of the discharge petition, but we got, I think, three Republican members to sign the discharge petition, and those dudes lost their committees and were like, persona non grata and weren't there very long. Um, so it's it's a very difficult thing to do because you've got to get uh, now granted like it would be to save the economy. So you would hope that there'd be a few people who would sign it if it got to that point. Um, but I, I, it's just it is scary. Uh, and to your point, when you were saying, uh, you know, hopefully people or you said anybody who's not following this closely. And the truth is like one percent of the country will be following this closely. And, right. and then, and then after that, if it happens and the economy is wrecked, well, we know what happens then. And the Republicans know it too. It's that people aren't going to be like the Republicans wrecked the economy. They're going to be, like, the economy is in shambles and Biden is president. And the Republicans know that. Uh, so they're willing to kill the hostages is the point. Yeah. I, whatever happened to the minting the trillion dollar coin or whatever, let's, let's go back to that. Guys. It may have to happen, man. Yeah. Well, okay, uh, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll talk about the Hollywood writer's strike and how that affects you. We'll talk about some uh, horrendous moves by the Montana legislature to bar one of their colleagues, a transgender colleague. And then we, if we have time, we'll talk about the Supreme Court and a case that not a lot of people are paying attention to, which could completely upend Biden's ability to govern. All of that and more when we return. This episode is sponsored by Roan. 
If you're like me, you understand the pains of finding what to wear. Most clothes are uncomfortable. They may be too tight. They never, you know, actually fit your size because, you know, a lot of us are not exactly small, medium, large, extra large. We're complicated. Sometimes when you find something you like, you can only wear it for a few hours before that important meeting or dinner, and then you have to change into something else. And everyone wants to dress their best. You want to look good at all times. And frankly, it's a confidence booster. So here's the deal. Men's closets were due for a radical reinvention and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man, and here's why. Roan helps you get ready for any occasion with the commuter collection, which offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, and polos. You never have to worry about what to wear when you have the Roan commuter collection. And here's some anecdote. I'm wearing my Roan pants right now. And last week I was at a wedding. I wore my Roan uh, button-down shirt to the wedding at a formal wedding and i will also wear it tomorrow when i just you know go into a coffee shop to have a meeting it's that versatile so it's time to feel confident without the hassle with roan's wrinkle release technology wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products it's that easy yeah i actually you know not so neatly folded that shirt in my bag for the wedding and i was able to take it out and Automatically, I was able to put it on. It looked like I had ironed it, but I didn't. You know, it's an inside secret between us. So with Gold Fusion anti-odor technology, you'll also be smelling fresh and clean all day on top of that. Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can dish the dry cleaner all together. We're on the move a lot, and the Roan commuter collection has never let me down. The versatility and overall comfort of the collection is undefeated. I absolutely love it. And even after I wear it all day, I feel super fresh because that Gold Fusion anti-odor technology. At that wedding, I was dancing up a storm, wore it, no problems. So the commuter collection can get you through any work day and straight into whatever comes next. So head to roan.com slash majority and use the promo code majority to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to roan.com slash majority and use the code majority. It's time to find your corner office comfort. So it's no secret that, that one of the keys to being really healthy, maybe the key, is getting a great night's sleep. And I know it's really hard and there's a lot that goes into getting the right sleep, but you may know that one of the keys to getting awesome, awesome sleep is to make sure that you're getting enough magnesium. And believe it or not, around 75% of people don't have enough of it. They don't have enough magnesium, which helps explain why so many of us are having so many sleep problems. But it's important not to just run to the store and buy the first magnesium supplement that you can find because most magnesium supplements use only the two cheapest forms of magnesium in the synthetic form. And since they're not full spectrum, you won't get the right fix of magnesium to fix your deficiency. And there are actually seven unique forms of magnesium, and you must get all of them if you want to experience the calming, sleep-enhancing effects. That's why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bio-Optimizers. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed, and you'll be amazed by how much better you sleep and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. So for an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash majority. That's magbreakthrough.com slash majority54 and use the code majority54 during checkout to save 10%. All right, Ravi, for this next topic, uh, it strikes me as something that fits squarely within this occasional <laughs> segment that we do, which is things that are political but don't seem political. Uh, I think this started uh, back when uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, 
said that he had been quote unquote immunized and it turned out that he was just avoiding admitting that he was not vaccinated. And we <laughs> talked about it as something that seemed like a sports story, but was really a, a political story. And so the, the writer's strike in Hollywood uh, doesn't seem like it's a political story or a political uh, topic, but it really is. It really does touch our politics. So with that, teach us about it and then let's talk about the politics of it and what it means. Yeah, what's fascinating is on both sides of this equation are people who claim to be Democrats more often That's than not. That's a good point. Yeah. So you have the alliance of motion picture and television producers, so the studios essentially on one side, and then you have the Writers Guild of America, which are the writers. And the 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 people who have the control here tend to be the alliance, right? The producers have the control, but they've been in these talks for a while. A lot of people have been speculating that this strike would happen. And the three main sticking points are these things called small, high-intensity writers' rooms. They call them mini-rooms. There's a whole like series of problems that writers have with these mini-rooms. Uh, basically, they're shorter-staffed. They have less responsibilities once a show goes to air. So a big part of writing for a show is making changes on the fly, but these mini-rooms don't. Um, have the authority to do that all the time. Uh, a big sticking point is apparently the industry's approach to artificial intelligence, and then just the basic uh, agreement on writers' salaries. So those are the three main sticking points. We're in a strike right now, and the last time this happened, it cost the LA economy $2.1 billion, and it lasted 100 days, and was responsible for some atrocities like season two of Friday Night Lights. So <laughs> like, we, we could expect some really bad content in the months ahead. There are interesting quirks about where we are in the calendar relative to where we were last time, but essentially this is uh, going to be a... It either the way that people are writing about this is either going to be resolved in the next few days or it's going to take a while, which we can talk about because there's some interesting wrinkles to why that's the case. Yeah. And the reason that I think of it as a story that is political but doesn't seem political is because it's really about workers organizing and about workers' rights. I mean, it's just they're a union. Uh, and, you know, people are going to experience this as, oh, Kimmel and Colbert and Fallon and whatever are in reruns. Like, why are they in reruns? And then and then if it goes on, people are, well, why isn't Saturday Night Live a new one this week? And and so that will irritate people. And then, then we will see how people come down. Do they then get irritated with the writers and say, oh, these Hollywood people, they already make a lot of money. Or will they get irritated with the networks? It's not unlike what happened in baseball. Uh, you know, was it, and now I can't remember, was it last year or this year? Um, where, uh, you know, there, it was a long period before spring, spring training actually started and then it delayed the regular season. So I guess that was last year. Um, and, uh, you know, and people were like, ah, these players make so much money and it's like, yeah, but the owners make so much more. And, and that's, what's happening here uh, is, I mean, what the head of, I want to, I want to say like Warner brothers is making like 250 million or something. And then the writers, you know, we know what their salary ranges are because it's established in the, in the agreement with the Writers Guild from the, from the past. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a political story. Yeah. And here's why if it doesn't get resolved in the next few days, it could last a while because both sides have an incentive to make it last for a decent amount of time. The writers want to make it last long into this long enough into the summer so that they can kill the production schedule for fall TV because they know that that is a that's leverage they have over the studios who want to get production underway for fall TV. Now, the production studios, 
this I learned. I was this is a little bit of a, a surprising little detail. They during the sort of height of the streaming wars signed all these deals with people like Shonda Rhimes, Greg Berlanti, and people like that. Uh, these big producer, these big uh, like showrunners. showrunners, and which is like they, essentially like a head writer, right? Right, and some of these are huge, like hundred million dollar mm-hmm. contracts. And apparently, st- the studios are kind of unhappy with the terms of these deals. And if they have these clauses in the contracts, the force majeure clauses that say, in the event of all sorts of things, including labor strikes, they can either completely jettison these contracts or renegotiate them. And there's just speculation that, well, some of these studios will be really happy to exercise those force majeure clauses. So if both sides have an incentive to drag this on, we could be in for some really bad TV in the fall. The reason I think this is important for people to pay attention to is because when we think about organized labor and when we think about unions and unions going on strike, we think about people who work with their hands. We think about people who carry you know, a tool belt or work on an assembly line. But the truth is, is there's an awful lot of people in this country who are part of a union, and there used to be a lot more, who right. don't, and not that not that there should be a difference, but but there is a distinction made in a lot of people's minds because if you if you are not a a quote unquote laborer, then there's a good chance that you don't feel like you relate to people uh, who who are, and as a result, you don't feel in many cases like you relate to people organizing for their rights, people people being part of a union, people striking, uh, and so it is important for people to see. Folks who don't work with their hands uh, and 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 don't do physical labor to see them organizing in a very public way like this, uh, yeah. You know, and I sure. I think that is very helpful. And because where where are the other places where it happens? It's like teachers, and that gets very complicated because when when teachers strike uh, or when teachers organize, there is a wide range of views about that, um, and there are a lot of people who are very quick to blame the teachers for it, right? And this is a little different um, because not everybody, like for instance, if teachers go on strike and you have a kid in school, you're gonna, it's going to affect your views, right or wrong. Right. Um, and versus like, you know, you didn't get to watch a new episode of Kimmel. Uh, right. So I am interested to see how this plays with people. Yeah, you know, as I was thinking about this, this would have been the first, I was supposed to join the WGA this year. I just never got around to doing it because I was paid to I write was a script ask this you. year. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm eligible and I should have done it. Uh, it would have been the first union I'd ever joined. But I have a relationship with them because every time you write something, you send it to them and they register it for you. Mm-hmm. So you like if you write a yeah. script, you, you send it their way. Without it, getting it'll be fascinating. into it. I was just say without oh, getting saying? into any, any of the details on it, like as you know, um, I've been working on something along those lines, and it is registered with the WGA, and and I'm not a WGA member, um, and we're not working on it right now. Like we're not, yeah. you know. So we've we've had, and we're and but it's already done, and so now we're having to figure out and talking to friends in the WGA about like, you know, are the producers allowed to talk to each other? How does this work? Right. Uh, because one thing we're not going to do is cross a picket line. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, even some of these showrunners are also members of WGA. Like a lot of these mm-hmm. folks came up as writers first before anything else. And I it's what it's it is Hollywood in this sense is a very it's a, it's an incredibly unequal place in the sense that the person who shows up to that writers room is making nothing. But the mm-hmm. the big showrunners that make it huge make a ton of money and the producers make a ton of money and there's just so much money 
in the sort of system overall, it reminds me of healthcare. Like, mm -hmm. you know, why nurses don't make a lot of money, but like hospital administrators make insane salaries, right? It's like, it's just an inefficiency in the way the money's allocated. And that's what's going to be determined over the next few months is can they level the playing field and share the riches more with the people who really hustle? Because what makes a show great? Take a show like Succession or something, right? What makes Succession great is not just the casting, not just the actors. A lot of those people weren't even well-known actors, and they're really good, to be clear, and they should be compensated really well for it. But what makes that show great is also it happens to have incredible writing, and the show would suck if it didn't have incredible writing. And so the people who write for that show should be compensated accordingly. There's also another element of this that I think is worth talking about, which is, and, and I was reading this in the thing that you sent me, which is that for a lot of the broadcast shows, for instance, most of that stuff's already written, right? So yeah. in theory, in theory, those uh, those producers, those channels, those whatever, they could go forward, right? But there's two elements here. One is they they need to have writers available to do rewrites, uh, you know, on set, which one speaks to the talent that's clearly undervalued of people in the writer's guild. But I think the bigger story here is that even if they decided to go forward and say, okay, we won't have any rewrites, we'll just go with what's already there. Well, then you get into the lesson of solidarity. Then you get yep. into the fact that there are there are actors, there are directors, there are so many people, there are union members who are not writers, but are part of productions, you know, people who in all, you know, makeup and crews and everything else who are like, yeah, I'm not crossing that picket line. And right. so I think that's a really important thing for for people in any industry to understand is that that stuff like and the writers are going to ultimately, I'm sure, get at least some of what they want when this eventually gets resolved. But it's important to recognize that that probably couldn't happen in the same way unless there were people who are not part of the WGA, not part of that union, but part of the same industry who are like, no, we're going to have solidarity with them. And that that's really important. And people should think about that in their own work lives. This is something that's going to be playing out over the next few days. And I'm really, and right now they're not talking from what I understand. So in a weird way, it's like similar to the debt ceiling negotiations. So we'll see what <laughs> happens here. Uh, we're going to take another break and hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll talk about all this craziness happening in Montana. And we'll also potentially check in with our Supreme Court. Majority 54 is sponsored by Lomi. Uh, I have a family that apparently creates a lot of waste. And when I say it that way, it sounds funny. We, we create a lot of trash, a lot of stuff that should go in the trash. And, and that means that when you have a lot of trash left over and then the week comes to an end in our area, trash gets picked up on Wednesday. Uh, you know, I, 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 most of the time I feel pretty guilty about it because I'm like the guy out there with multiple bags and I got to like ask a neighbor, can I put it in your spot? Or I've got to get one of these tags from the city and I put that in my trash that says I paid for this extra bag. Uh, but Lomi, transforms all that extra garbage into gold at the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps to dirt in under four hours. And now I am that guy that I remember from my neighborhood when I was younger, the kind of strange guy who loves composting. But now I don't think it's strange. Now I just think it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's like made cooking at home even more fun because when there's food waste, oh, awesome. That goes into the compost even better. Uh, so there's no food rotting in the garage and smelling up the, or, or smelling up the kitchen. Uh, thanks to Lomi, I only have to take out the trash this once a week and it's hassle-free and I don't have the embarrassment of like everybody's using my extra bags. I get to help the environment. 
environment and make my life easier. All of my food scraps, my plant clipping, uh, even those those leftovers that I forgot in the back of the fridge, they go back into what would be my garden if I have a garden, but instead, you know, they go into making the grass be a little bit greener. Uh, and it helps me grow, uh, should I start a garden, more nutritious food uh, right in the backyard. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash majority54 and use the promo code majority54 to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to lomi.com slash majority54 and use promo code majority54 at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. Thank you to everybody for all of your comments and your reviews on this podcast. We, we greatly appreciate it. Yes, and thank you for everybody who sent me you know, happy birthday wishes, and, and thanks to Ben for setting that up. Definitely, and we noticed uh, a few of you uh, more than a few have mentioned how much you miss Grace, uh, our, our who used to produce this show, and and we miss Grace as well. Uh, I, I'm sure you would agree. Yeah, I would. You know, I was just thinking about her today because we just signed a Seattle Seahawks player, and I wanted to gloat, but you know, can't gloat to I, her right now. I got a text the, actually. Well, a little behind the scenes for everybody is the only upside to you know grace not being uh like a, an everyday part of the show anymore is that uh i i now get to follow grace on instagram like this is a behind the scenes people didn't see yeah. this is that we were like grace why <laughs> would you not accept our request to follow you on instagram and she was like i don't do that with people i work with they don't get to see and i was like what is in this instant now it turns out it's not like outlandish or scandalous, no. but like Grace, it's well produced and it's very good, like everything she does. And so the upside is I do get to to follow Grace on Instagram now that we're not technically co-workers. Um, but one of the best things that you can do to support Grace is you can listen to the latest season of As She Rises, which is a podcast highlighting stories of hope in the fight against climate change. And Grace is the creator of the show and, the, and she's produced the entire new season that looks at the Colorado River and there's the drought happening there that she's reporting on. Uh, and she does it with host Leah Thomas, who's the co-founder of the In Intersectional Environmentalist. And the, the show follows the river downstream and features stories of resilience in the face of the crisis. So go show Grace our love and tune in to the latest season as she rises wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, back to the show. Bottom line is uh, we love you, Grace. Uh this may be the only episode lately you've mentioned or you've listened to for this ad, perhaps, uh, and we miss you. So, all right, Ravi, what, what else are we talking about? Well, okay, let's talk about Montana. So there's this Montana state representative, Zoe Zephyr, who asked a court on Monday to allow her to return to the House floor after she was silenced and barred for chiding her Republican colleagues over legislation to restrict gender affirming health care and for encouraging protesters. This is a both not surprising but baffling here and gets to Jason like this whole two step that the, the Republicans do, which is they're saying, ah, you know, like we don't have a problem with people's personal choices, but dot dot dot. But it seems like every time a trans person just tries to participate in American life in the ways that they're entitled to, like this is a legislator who does legislating, should be giving speeches. They just can't handle. We talked about the great Bud Light boycott for two weeks in a row, and now we've got this. It's also, I think, kind of linked because we're talking about, you know, I, I think their argument is it's because she protested, because she, you know, that's what they would like the pretense to be, right? Which yeah. reminds me a great deal. I mean, not even remind me, I like guess obviously linked 
to what happened with uh, the Tennessee three, right? Right. And 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 after the Nashville shooting, um, so it, it's this seem. On the one hand, you want to look at this and go, "Oh, this is a Republican strategy." Now, I don't think that's the case. I think it's that uh, you know old white Republican men have a tendency to want to tell minorities and women, uh, you know, in general, how they should be raising their grievances as a way to yeah. control to control their ability to raise those grievances and those concerns. And, and combined with just being a bunch of stick in the mud, uh, self-important jerks who think like it matters how you go about representing your, your, uh, constituents and that there's a proper way and an improper way. I, I may have said this in the show before, but this, all this stuff reminds me so much of, uh, in baseball where for years and years, you know, white players have been saying, that you can't flip your bat, you can't celebrate a home run because right. it was like a quiet way to try and keep the game segregated because that's how the game was played in the Negro Leagues. And this is the same sort of, it's like, oh, no, no, you don't get to be loud. You don't get to do it this way because this is our way of of keeping uh, your agenda, which which is a distant, which is an agenda on behalf of a disenfranchised group of people from getting any air. We just, we we act like it's decorum we're concerned about. Yeah, I don't think there's much more to say about that other than, you know, let's continue to support Zoe. Uh, and, like, people, like, look, people can have different opinions about, like, sports or whatever. I certainly have mine, like, you know, different different opinions about the relationship between sex and gender, et cetera. And, like, these are, like, important discussions playing out all across America. But... You, when you cross the line and start dehumanizing people and preventing them from doing their jobs, I, you, you have to just draw the line you, to your conservative Republican friends and say, look, like this is a question of decency. Like, you can have your opinions. You're not going to be able to convince everybody in your life to think about these issues the way you want to, but people should be able to do their jobs. Like, it's just unfair and mean spirited to just tell people, hey, like you're just illegitimate, period, because of the choices that you've made. And because not even choice, it's the wrong way to frame it, because of who you are. And mm -hmm. that's disgusting, really. Well, look at look at look at the people, and I'm not gonna use examples because I don't want to compare any of these people uh to this representative, right? Because they shouldn't be compared. But if you just look at the numerous examples of people who have exhibited all sorts of behavior and hold all sorts of very extreme views who Republicans have kept from even getting near the discussion of being kicked out of either Congress or their legislatures. Right. It makes this that much more ridiculous. But again, I don't want to bring up any of the obvious specific examples because that is putting them on par and they don't belong right. in the same discussion. Right. Well, okay, we're going to skip Chevron deference, Jason. I know you're going to be bummed over that, but maybe next week we'll <laughs> talk about it. There's a, there's a Supreme Court case out there that I wanted to geek out on, but we definitely do not have time for that. Uh, one for us, Jason, what's happened in your world? Your birthday. I forget how our birthdays are basically a week apart. What do you, yeah, you got anything we, fun planned? We are essentially, uh, two years apart, which, which doesn't yeah. sound like I'm a lot until you, until you imagine us being in high school at the same time. Yeah. You're the eight, same age as my brother. You kicked my ass right. my entire childhood. So you would have been big enough to do such thing. Not that you would have, you definitely don't no, seem like no, that kind no. of guy, but yeah, you're the, no, you're, I, I, I don't think I would have. I don't know. Um, although I was not, I was not the best older brother. Uh, so perhaps I would, but, but uh, I don't know. Anyway, um, 
Yeah, you know, in two weeks, uh, we are uh, taking a trip to New York City uh, where we are going to see um, my uncle's Broadway show, New York, New York. Uh, and I'm, we're very excited because we're, it's Bella's going to stay with uh, my mother-in-law, but um, we are going to take True. And uh, it's so interesting, you know, in preparing him for this. And he's very excited because he's seen, he's seen one musical and he did the musical at school this year. Um, and so he's very excited for it anyway, uh, to the point where as a sidebar, it's kind of funny, like, you know, obviously we're a very baseball oriented family. Anybody who listens to the show knows that this week, uh, we, well, when we first tell this part of the story, we, in preparing him to see New York, New York, we went ahead and had him watch Chicago, which is also one of my uncle's shows. We had him watch the movie. Now, anybody who's ever seen the show or the movie knows that it's not really for a nine-year-old. Um, now right. New York, New York is very family friendly. Uh, it's unlike any other show my uncle's ever done in that way. Uh, it's very family friendly. Um, but we wanted him to see something else. So we showed him Chicago and his eyes were wide the entire time. Right. I mean, well, there's a lot of, and, and to the point where then we're in the back of the car a couple of days later, which is the funny story I was going to tell. Uh, and we're, we're coming back from a baseball tournament where, you know, he's covered in dirt and he's had a great day and we're in my pickup truck and we're in Kansas city. And so in many ways there's an archetype there that it fits, but he was like, dad, can we listen to Chicago? So I put on the music from the musical. So we're just like a couple of, you know, a baseball coach and a baseball player in Kansas city, driving down the road, listening to our show tunes and singing along. And he's got, <laughs> and he's got his, his teammate in there with him. And, it, and he was like, dad, put on cell block tango. And anybody who's familiar with the show knows that this is a, this is a, a number from toward the beginning of the movie where a bunch of uh, women who have killed their husbands sing a song uh, where the refrain is he had it coming. And, and so there's a part where she says, uh, or one of the, one of the cast members says, and then he ran into my knife. He ran into my knife 10 times. And so true turns to his teammate, who's also nine years old. And he says, that means she stabbed him. And, and the teammates like, why? And true goes, or who? And, and true says her husband. And he's like, why? And True goes, I don't know. Everybody in this movie stabbed their husbands, but it's a really good movie and it's on HBO Max right now and you should totally watch it. And, <laughs> and it was just kind of a hilarious thing and fun to introduce him to um, what is the family business outside of our, uh, outside of, you know, me and my is like, is, is performing. So I think, that, you know, we're I looking forward to it. I think my grandma scarred me for life by taking me to Cats as my first Broadway show. And it's I've never seen Cats. Oh Lord, too. It's rough. It's rough. So, so you haven't been. How many Broadway shows have you been to? You live there. Uh, I did. I actually went to. I went to In the Heights twice. So Lin Manuel okay. Miranda's first one. I did Hamilton. I've done right as the pandemic was about to start. I went to the um, West Side Story, which was really good. So I'm, I'm starting to get around to it. You know, you you got to see New York, it. New York. So it's it's a kind it's a Candor and Ebb show, but it's also a Candor and Miranda show because Lynn wrote some of the lyrics as well. And well, yeah, send me the, send me the dates that you guys send me the dates that you guys are going, and I'll take a look at tickets. Um, maybe I'll right. I'll drag some people over there. Uh, I uh, yeah, I've been wanting to go. You know, because I I associate Broadway shutting down because there was this show that I really, this movie called Sing Street that I really love that was going to do like, it was either Broadway or Off-Broadway. They they had a musical all set up for April 2020 and I was so excited about it and they canceled it and I wound up watching a live production of it on Zoom uh, mm, during the yeah. pandemic where everybody was Zoomed in their apartment, the whole cast. That's pretty wild. You know, yeah. So, but uh, I was bummed because it's like a young cast and this was probably all their big breaks and it never wound up really happening. So it's a bummer. All right. In your world, we had to, Start a little late today because you had an MRI. What what's going on? Yes, 
So you know me, I'm a little bit of a lunatic when it comes to health stuff. I, uh, I think that the threshold for when you should get a colonoscopy and other cancer screening should be lower than it is now. I think you have to be couple years older than I am and have all these other risk factors. And I was just arguing with my doctor about this. And my doctor was like, look, you can get your own colonoscopy. You just got to pay for it. And I said, I started doing the math and I figured I, I can, can get I a- can imagine this argument and it's yeah, very funny. Anyway, I get in a lot of arguments with my doctor. But the, <laughs> then I, so I did the math and realized I could do a full body MRI, which doesn't completely replace colonoscopy, but it, it it's obviously covers a lot more ground for a little bit more than what I would have paid for the colonoscopy. And so I just opted to do that. And so I did that, although it took way longer. Than yeah, how long is a full body MRI? It was like an, a little over an hour, like an hour and 15 minutes, but the whole process of getting set up and all that took two hours. I, I thought it was gonna take a lot less. Uh, and so, yeah, and I, yeah, it's, I've never been in an MRI machine. I don't know if you have, it's not pleasant. Oh yeah, I, I just like two weeks ago and also several other times. It's not that bad, but it's, they said, the hard part is you can't move. Uh, yes, because and they kept making me redo stuff. But then and, they have Netflix on, and so I'm watching Netflix, and then they're telling me not to move. And I'm like, they're like, it's like hard to watch. Oh, you got to watch TV. something during it. That's yeah. interesting. They had like a clever okay. mirror contraption where the mirror in oh, front of me smart. projected from behind. Humans are yeah. awesome. Humans are awesome. We create yeah. such great things. That's yeah. incredible. Uh, all right. Well, real quick, we can do a grab an or, which is sort of a breaking news grab an or, because I think it was today that Colin Allred announced for the U.S. Senate. Uh, against Ted Cruz. Uh, and if you, I mean, you shouldn't need a reason to back somebody uh, against Ted Cruz, but, you know, I, I know Colin Allred just a little bit. Uh, and um, he may have been, was he an arena person or anything? Was an arena candidate, yeah. yeah. Original arena fellow, original, original class of arena fellows. All right, well, then you should talk about him a little bit here. Well, he's just an incredible guy. He was an athlete, a professional athlete turned politician. And he's one of those people who has that appeal, you know, like he's, like he's like a kind of guy who appeals to people who hate politics. He's really good at talking about politics in very simple terms. And he overperforms in a really tough state like Texas, where mm -hmm. like we've been hearing for decades that Texas is going to turn blue. I believe it. But in order for it to turn blue, we need really, really good candidates. And he's as good as they get. And so I'm really pumped about him. He represents what North Dallas, I think, right now in the Congress. Something, like, something like yeah. that. But he's, he's in Congress yeah. from Texas. So uh, anyway, so go check it out. Uh, go throw some money. And if you're in Texas, sign up to volunteer uh, for Colin Allred. So, all right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, remember to subscribe to Majority 54 wherever you listen to your audio podcast. Just search Majority 54. Please leave a five-star review. Thank you to the Midas Mighty. And remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.